Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It's great to have you with us as always. We talk some hoops, we get into some pop culture and other things usually. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we're going to have ESPN bracket expert, the bracketologist himself, Joe Lenardi. Uh, I don't know if he's still in the bunker or not, but he's going to join us in just a little bit. Chris, what's going on, man? I'm still recovering from our epic weekend, dude. Uh, (laughs) It was wall to wall. Uh, We got to do everything we wanted and including watch the final four and and uh hang out with our our good buddy rick bird so uh and i got an eat elvis poster too yeah we we had a lot of fun uh chris came to nashville over the weekend and uh we ate pizza with the family here and uh watched the final four and then uh chris and i on sunday i i did baseball i did the uh, final game of the vanderbilt tennessee series uh on espn network or on sec network plus and uh chris sat in the booth and uh, checked that out and then we uh, went and uh, had a bite to eat and saw some live music so it, it was a lot of fun we we did a lot of cool stuff and it was just great to catch up i was trying to remember the last time i actually saw you in person it, it had been a couple of years I, i've seen you this way on the uh, the zoom calls we do for our podcast but i don't think we'd actually gotten together to actually do anything in a couple of years so it was great to see uh, you. yeah i, I can't I, it's sad to say it must have been the some game in, in early tw- uh, 20 or, or, or late 19, 2019, yep. the pandemic has uh, uh, kicked us out of a few things like seeing the Stones in Nashville. Uh, you eventually did get to see them when they came back, uh, but I wasn't able to go that time. So, yeah, we've uh, it had been a while. Well, let's talk about the Final Four and, of course, the championship game. We'll start there. Uh, Monday night, everybody talks about wanting to play on Monday night. Well, it was Kansas and North Carolina. They made it that far to the uh, the final day of the college basketball season. and It was a great game. Kansas rallied from 16 down to win 72-69 and a close one against the Tar Heels. The Jayhawks turned the ball over on an inbounds play uh, with about three or four seconds left, giving Carolina one last chance for a tying three-pointer by Caleb Love. Uh, barely hit, hit the rim and Kansas had its second championship under coach Bill Self. David McCormick, uh, no disrespect to Agbaji, uh, who won most outstanding player. I thought David McCormick may have been the guy. He uh, had 15 and 10 in the title game. He was fantastic against, against Villanova. But, Chris, in the end, Kansas, when they were way behind, they really turned up the defense in the second half. They made a few adjustments, and they got out into transition and scored points, which is what they like to do. A, a veteran team and and really a deserving champion uh, in, in 2022. I think so. After all the upsets that we saw and brackets destroyed, including mine, uh, the winner of my class bracket contest beat me. It's a girl who didn't like basketball previously. She's become a convert. <laughs> beat me by uh, 38 points. Wow like doubled my score uh, because I went for went for it on some things that I thought I knew. And, and, uh, the one thing that, that I did know, and I'm, I'm proud of this is I thought before the tournament that if Remy Martin was really okay, had recovered from his knee problem and he really had a, a crisis of confidence during that, you know, he's a confident guy, a downhill player, an aggressive player, and I thought if, if he could get back to the form he showed when he played at Arizona State, Kansas would be a different team. And sure enough, he, he started out, and he never did start. He came off the bench every game. He was most outstanding player in the Midwest Regional. And after that, Bill Self said, with Remy Martin, we're a different team. 
So I thought, wow, you know, what a great time of year to have a guy like that, you know, revert to form. And sure enough, he did. Against Carolina, I really thought Carolina had a chance to, to, to steal that one. In my opinion, and of course, those kids have played it at a high level that, that I could only dream about. But it seemed like Carolina's guards, who had really alternated throughout the tournament having the hot hand, it seemed like they took some quick shots. Yeah. And especially when Kansas was rallying. And, you know, they're still just sophomores. Uh, and, you know, had never been in that kind of crucible before. But I thought that hurt them. And then on that final play, it, it really epitomized what Carolina had been through, basically playing five, maybe six guys all tournament. Brady Manick uh, cut to the right corner, and somewhere around the, uh, the lane, he just collapsed. Uh, I don't know whether he slipped or what, but he just couldn't get back up. And I, I just felt so sorry for the guy. And it, it just sort of epitomized, you know, Armando Baycott was struggling with that ankle injury. Yeah, and yeah hurt it again just, there toward the end. He did. And I, I read where the, the company that put together the floor uh, said there was no boards uh, on the court that were loose that could have caused that. And, you know, those guys were just – walking dead level zombies uh they had played you know high 30 minutes throughout the tournament and seeing brady manic fall he probably would have gotten that last shot and and i think you know the way things were going with carolina he might have popped that thing in so uh it was a shame to see because carolina had a great great tournament uh even in their early round games like Marquette, they just blitzed Marquette. I think they had 96 points and that showed you that, that their offense was potent. And, and really that time of year, if, if you don't get an ankle injury, if you don't get in foul trouble, you can play five or six guys sure. uh, and get away with it. And so that's one where you hate to see anybody lose. Uh, but Kansas certainly having gotten bumped out of a, a chance to win it all in 2020 when, they were going to be the number one overall seed. They were consensus number one in the polls. They were on a 16-game winning streak. And then, oh, sorry, canceled the tournament. Yeah, they were. A lot of teams were bummed that year. Couldn't have been any more bummed than Kansas was. Yeah, and some of the, uh, the players from that team were actually on this group, and then they were certainly very uh, uh, cognizant of that, uh, what had happened back in 2020, and, and uh, missed out on a chance to – possibly win a championship that year. But, yeah, all the things you talked about in that last play with Brady Mannix slipping. And, and, and of course, they slowed it down, and, and you saw the you know the, the floor kind of flex a little bit. But those floors are designed to do that. It's, it's just the way they're made. And, you know, it's yeah. one thing in real time. It's another thing to watch it in super-duper slow motion. But uh, and, and there was some speculation on what the play might have been. Was it going to be a skip to Mannix and try to get a more open look for Caleb Love, you know, maybe at the top? Um and I guess I, that was, that's a question for Hubert Davis. But uh, overall, Carolina made a great run. We'll talk about the game uh, on Saturday in just a moment. I thought Hubert Davis wiped out some doubts, whatever there might have been about his coaching ability, and really showed what a class guy he is. Uh, his interviews were fun. You know, the, the one during the game with Tracy Wolfson was, was really funny. And live and, action, it's live, live action. action. It was live action. And, and then yeah. afterward, 
you know, in their moment of extreme disappointment, he said all the right things, I thought, in his post-game interviews. Really, really impressed with that guy. Uh, Bill Self wins his second championship at Kansas. And, you know, Chris, you, you talk about coaches and, and, and how, how they're viewed. Whatever sport it is, winning that second title always seems like it's a separator when, when you look at coaching careers, and, and that's another one for Bill Self uh, on his Hall of Fame resume. No doubt. He's in a small club that, that have won more than one, and I wish I had that in front of me because there aren't many. Yeah. Uh, and he's still got a lot of coaching to do. I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously the, the situation they went to and through in 2017 with the FBI thing, I, I think – what, I don't pretend to know what happened, if anything, but I know that opponents were uh, negative recruiting against that. And and really this team that that he won the national championship with was atypical. Uh, I think I read a, a factoid where, I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years, the national uh, champion had at least four consensus top 100 players in its starting five. Kansas had only two yeah, and you know, they had transfers and I, I don't want to, and, and, you know, four and five year guys, I don't want to say it was a cobbled together lineup because that would demean uh, that team. It wasn't, uh, but they weren't guys that, you know, Kansas had previously gotten some of those one and done guys. And really, I think that speaks well to, if you look at the last few national champions, I'm, I'm talking about Villanova twice, Virginia, and now Kansas, they were all older teams, yeah. guys that had been there. I think four of the starting five were on that 2020 team that got disappointed by not being able to c- compete in a tournament. So I think it just continues to underscore the fact that, you know, recruiting one and done guys is one way to do it, I suppose. But it's not necessarily a good way to win the title. Yeah. I mean, even Kentucky went away from it this year, and ironically, the year they had their most experienced team under Coach Cal, the, the St. Peter's Express just steamrolled. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think all things considered, uh, coaches would rather have older guys that, that have a chance of recreating what's said in the huddle <laughs> out on the floor, and certainly Kansas was able to do that I don't know what was said in that halftime locker room. I'm sure Bill didn't have to say a whole lot. They knew what was uh, in store. They were 16 points down. If I'm not mistaken, that was the largest halftime deficit deficit in in, in the finals history. Uh, and certainly the, Kansas throughout the tournament had only been down six. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and suddenly they find themselves double figures. And they knew they had to get after it. And, they were experienced guys. Again, Remy Martin uh, hit some big shots. Uh, he's been around the block, all Pac-12 a couple of years. Uh, and uh, Abaji, uh, uh, Brown, uh, yeah, McCormick, those are all tough tournament-tested dudes. And remember, it's also the same team that got whacked last year by USC. It was 80-something to 50-something. I, I believe it was 30 points. And, you know – that team had double emphasis to try to get something done and win it all. Uh, the, the disappointment of 2020 and then uh, the annihilation uh, to a young USC team last year. 
And then going back to Saturday, the uh, national semifinal games, uh, Kansas took care of Villanova in the first game. And then in, in the second game, the much-anticipated Duke-North Carolina matchup. The Tar Heels won 81-77. I, I thought it was one of the greatest college games I had seen, at least in a long time, and certainly in the Final Four. Uh, Caleb Love hit the big dagger three-pointer with 28 seconds left. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski's career came to an end uh, with his team losing that thriller against Carolina. It, it was back and forth the whole game. It, it was just a really well-played game. I heard some debate about how losing to North Carolina in that game and then in the game to, to finish up the regular season at Cameron might affect Coach K's legacy. I always think those conversations and things are so silly. I mean, they made a nice run to the Final Four. They come up just short of winning another champ- championship. And those things, they don't take anything away from what a person's already accomplished. I mean, I, it, it doesn't... Yeah, it's a tough finish if you're a Duke fan. You lose to your arch rival, certainly in the Final Four. But at the same time, Coach K is Coach K. He did nothing to diminish any of that. In fact, I thought with the the run they made to the Final Four, enhanced his resume. It's a capper to just a remarkable career and probably something we'll never see again. A guy coaching that long at that high a level and that much success for, for four decades. Dude, if I had to make my living making stupid hot takes like that, Give me a shovel and and make me dig ditches. <laughs> Much rather do that. I, all the money in the world can't erase stupid. And if anybody thinks his legacy was diminished by one loss in the Final Four, that's insane. Uh, especially a team that was 346th in Division One, averaging less than a year of experience per man. I think if anything, like you said, it enhanced it. I think everybody would have well, not everybody. There, there's a lot of Ducators out there. I think it started with Christian Leitner's bunch. <laughs> uh, and I, I like that dude. I don't care what anybody says. I, I watched that 30 for 30 the other day. But no, I, I mean, the guy's uh, legacy is unassailable. I mean, he, he holds about every coaching record you could have beyond the, the obvious, the 10 championships of John Wooden. But this is such a different era. And, and much harder to win it all than when Coach Wooden was in his heyday. And then to say nothing about what Coach K did for USA basketball and, and bringing our Olympic teams back, uh, being able to control the egos of a bunch of pros and winning three gold medals, whoever made that is, is dumb. And, and, and I say that, and he's probably making 18 times more money than I am a year. But if I've got to – if that's how I got to make my bucks, uh, to say stupid stuff like that, uh, I'm no, man, I'll dig ditches. Chris, our guest this week is uh, none other than the ESPN bracket expert himself. He is, I don't know if he's still in the bunker or not, but he's uh, joining us now. Joe Lenardi, what's going on, man? No longer in the bunker, fellas. Uh, and in spite of what, you know, our good friend Bill Walton says, I do not live in a cave. <laughs> uh, I do not. I do not pass go. I do not collect two hundred dollars. But uh, well, uh, I am. I am basking, if you will, in the afterglow of a a great season and a great Final Four. And as we we're saying off fair, I, I, I'm just chomping at the bit to dive into that honeydew list. Let me tell you. Oh man, yeah. I've uh, yeah. I've tried to check Mr. off a couple of couple of items off my list the same way it's not fun i'm kind of wishing for basketball to start back up (laughs) okay so joe i gotta tell you uh this was my worst bracket year ever 
in my own bracket contest with my my sports writing class at the University of Tennessee, I finished 13th out of 16th. The winner was a girl who kayaks and, and climbs mountains. She doubled my point total, had North Carolina win it at all just because she liked their women's soccer team. What do you do, man? I mean, you think you know stuff, and, and I don't care what – anybody says i will never pick st peter's to beat kentucky and purdue you could you could have a thousand tournaments and i just couldn't bring myself to do it and you would be right if it was best of seven on a neutral court (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. right i mean if 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 that st peter's kentucky game or umbc against virginia or any other you know out of the blue upset you want to imagine from the past, if any of those were not 40-minute one-and-done contests, we'd be singing a different tune. Um, you, you know, I suspect it, and all due respect to St. Peter's. Yeah. Right? Oh, you know, for sure. They played well. And they outkicked their coverage, and and, you know, maybe they were better than most of us thought but like this much better or this much better mm-hmm. yeah and you know if if that's a best of seven kentucky wins in five every time not occasionally every time in fact i would argue i would argue and no one's ever accused me of being in the tank for kentucky but <laughs> i i would argue that if if it was a best of seven Kentucky doesn't lose at all and UVA doesn't lose at all because when they get behind, they don't panic. Right. Because they know that, like, the end is not tonight. Mm-hmm. Right? It's right. just it's right. just a whole different deal. And, look, if it was best of seven, we wouldn't watch, at least not to the degree that – the tournament is is now and it, it's popularity and it's it's just essence. Um, yeah. And and y- you know I don't think the Kentucky program is going to be missing any meals because they suffered a big upset. And you know for St. Peter's this could keep them going you know twenty five years. Uh, so good for them and uh, enjoy it for what it is. Another quick one from me. Uh, This was one of the crazier tournaments uh, in my memory. What do you think about the seeding process? Do you think some teams were undervalued, overvalued? Is that a difficult thing for the NCAA to get right? I'll answer the last question first. Is it difficult to get right? Of course, because of what we were talking about yeah like the one and done nature of the event is built to make frankly the experts look stupid Uh, (laughs) whether it's us and you know i'm loosely calling us experts chris but i mean you know in in fairness we probably are studying the landscape more closely than the average most. Yeah. Sure. 
right? Like, like I'm not suggesting that I know more about basketball than everyone, but I think I probably know as much about the roster of teams in any given year as any normal person should. And, you know, we can say underseated, overseated, and end up looking, you know, should St. Peter's have been a four? I mean, no reasonable person thinks that. Uh, and, and I actually have found that the introduction and implementation of net as the primary metric in place of the RPI has eliminated a lot of the erratic seating decisions that maybe we had seen. Like, like flip the narrative. You know, here we had Carolina in the championship game as an eight. Think about the year Kentucky did that as an eight. I, I think most of us that year would have said, you know, with the Harrison twins and everybody else, that Kentucky was underseeded. You know, they, they've been inconsistent all year long. They came on late, et cetera. They were probably underseeded. I don't think North Carolina was underseeded this year. Uh, I, I mean, like it or not, with two weeks to go in the season, they lost at home to Pitt, like yeah. not at the buzzer. Like, uh, you know, there should be a bylaw that says if you lose at home to Pitt, you can't get in that. <laughs> right? Like you, 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 you could make that argument. Uh, so, you know, may, maybe the credit is due to the team for getting hot more than it is the, you, you know, committee for being wrong. Like UCLA last year made the final four from the first four as an 11 and they lost their last four games badly uh the fact that somehow they flipped a switch is is i think to their credit but to to take a while i guess it well they should have been a six well that's a disadvantage and a punishment to all the teams that earned a six or a seven or an eight or a nine or any of the others that would have been slotted ahead of them. Uh, so I'm not really buying the underseated or overseated kind of line of, of reasoning. Uh, I, I, I didn't think there was really any team in the whole tournament that they like grossly or even intermediate kind of missed on. Like, like they didn't miss anybody by, you know, three, four, five seed lines like like we've seen in the past. Right. I I think you know may, may, maybe they're getting smarter because they're paying more attention to us. <laughs> Joe Lenardi is our guest. You know, in the NIT, I saw Vanderbilt play Dayton, and Dayton just missed making the the NCAA tournament field. And I always laugh early in the season when people say, "Well, these games in November and December they don't mean anything." For Dayton, those games they lost in November pretty much meant everything. I mean, that, that might have made a difference as to whether they were in the tournament or not, those three straight losses back early in the year. Is that just an illustration of how important each game can potentially be when, when you get that close to uh, to being in the tournament or not? No doubt. And, again, if if I were king of the world, uh, king of this world anyway, uh, and I'm fairly certain that's not the case and it's never going to be the case, but 
I do think later season performance should probably matter more. Just the logic of sports is, you know, we go to practice every day trying to improve. Like that's what coaching is. That's what player development is. That's what late nights in the gym are all about. You know, Chris and I, and I don't know about you, Kevin, we, we foolishly go to the driving range this time of year <laughs> because we think yeah. it's going to matter. Never does. Uh, no, well, in my case, it doesn't. Because, like, I believe the old baseball analogy that we're all born with a set predetermined number of hits. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to waste one in the batting case. That's exactly right. Don't burn up your good swings on the driving range. I, I always say that. No, correct. Because we're all renting our swing. Mm-hmm. But... Yep. what 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 i would say is you you know like at texas a&m this year which was a kind of a bone of contention and and somehow i ended up being the bad guy even though i had them in uh but that's just a side petty argument that i can make any offseason like at the end clearly they were good enough right now there still may be more teams that are good enough than there are spots that's kind of the nature of right. the beast. Uh, but, you know, people will say, well, the, the, the way they played at the end doesn't matter any more than the way they played early. And and I just think that kind of flies in the face of common sense to some degree. But because the way the rules are written and the precedent's been applied, that's the way they do it. And it's not my job to do what I would think to be correct, my job is to do what I think they're going to do. Uh, and, you know, some years I die on that hill. And people don't realize, too, Joe, that this isn't your opinion. This is what your metrics uh, right. tell you. And, and, and you get – some people on Twitter are so nasty. But but it's like – I don't trying notice. To, uh, yeah, I – uh, you're just trying to read the tea leaves, you know. Uh, they're, they're not your tea leaves. Uh, and, and that brings up a question I wanted to ask. It's such a fine line to be able to advance in the tournament. Like, for an example, no uh, when when Tennessee got beat by Michigan, the knives came out for Rick Barnes. And people don't understand that he's two defensive plays away in his career from people never saying that again. The year Loyola went to the Final Four, mm-hmm. their point guard missed a defensive assignment at the end. Loyola's uh, guard hit a shot and beat him. Then the next year, they're playing Purdue to get to the Elite Eight, and one of Tennessee's guards falls. Uh, what was the little kid, that, such a great shooter at Purdue, kicked his right leg out. Oh. Carson Edwards. Yes. On a desperation three, fouls him, and the three fell short. If he would have just held his arms up, Tennessee gets to the elite eight. So my point is, just using an example that I know of, uh, Loyola got to the final four that year, and and Tennessee could have gotten to the elite eight. That criticism is, is washed away. So, so people just don't understand things have to happen and the brackets have to fall right and, and luck has to play a part. Sometimes I even think fate plays a part. All that goes into it, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, look, 
if not for that play, which is what, 2018? Mm-hmm. Yep. Against Loyola. And the year after 2019 against Purdue. Like if that play doesn't happen in 2018, is, you know, Porter Moser making $3 million a year at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Right? If Loyola doesn't go to the final, like is, is, I don't know. I mean, I like Porter. We're buds. He's a good guy. But I mean, that's just, uh, you know, rub of the green, luck of the draw, whatever cliche mm-hmm. you want yeah. to give it. You know, my ball landed in a divot. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and y- you know, they'd have statues in Buffalo for Scott Norwood if the kick was three feet to the left. I mean, <laughs> like, is he – is he a different person because he hit it off his, you know, second to the left toe instead of the third to the left? Like, <laughs> I, I, I can't answer that other than, you know, G- G- Gordon Hayward's half court shot. Yeah. Was like, if that a tip goes of a in, shoestring, if that goes in, it's yeah. the greatest ending, not in the history of the tournament. In the history of sports, I would yes. argue. Yeah. Like 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 Chris Jenkins, fantastic play. Yeah. Normal shot. Don't normally take half court shots with time running out against Duke in the final. Joe, we'll let you go. We'll let you uh, get started on your honeydew list or your brackets for next no! year or, or whatever <laughs> whatever else you got one going on today. <laughs> right, okay, okay, I got one more question for you. Do you do brackets for things other than the tournament or, or is this it? I mean, do you do like normal everyday stuff? He's like, you know what? I think I'm going to put together a bracket here. Well, actually, this is a little inside baseball. Uh, but there's a Lenardi family tradition at Easter. Uh, and this, like a lot of European countries have this, you know, where we smack eggs in a little mm-hmm. egg smacking contest. And and, and uh, there's now like over 50, like second and third generation Lenardis. And we, we do have a bracket. Wow. And shockingly, the member of the family in charge of creating said bracket might be one of your guests. <laughs> <laughs> we only have one guest, so that narrows it down. Yeah, and we start we we see we we bracket by age. We bracket by age. So the one seed is the most senior uh-huh. member of, of, of the Lenardi family tree who it we we've had a change at the top, if you will, because my godmother, God lover, uh went home at a hundred and one. Oh wow. So the next, the next oldest is actually my oldest brother at seventy six, and man, is he going to take a raft? Do you know what? When that bracket, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I plan on being the sixteen that beats his ass. I mean, beats the one. <laughs> so, are, are, are like the little kids in the family? Are they like the last four in, first four out? Oh God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, it gives them extra games to play, and they like right, exactly, exactly. They like that. Joe, always awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. And we'll catch up with you again down the road. Yeah, have All fun right, fixing that shower head, buddy. Uh, I'm going to call you. I'm sure there's going to be flooding. That was ESPN bracket expert and longtime friend of the show, Joe Lenardi, uh, joining us here. Always a lot of fun to catch up with Joe, and hopefully he gets the, the shower fixed okay. 
Uh, Chris, to to finish up our conversation, uh, it's been interesting to see some of the coaching moves, including coaches returning to former schools. Sean Miller to Xavier, that one came down a couple weeks ago. Thad Mata to Butler here in just the last couple days. Steve Prohm going back to Murray State. Those all sound like quality hires to me. Sometimes when when coaches go back and try to rekindle the magic, it doesn't always work. But I think those three in particular, maybe you can add some more, uh, seem like they, they will work out okay. I'm trying to think back to my college English class. Was it Thomas Wolf that wrote, you can't go home again? Huh. Uh, I don't think he was a hoop fan because uh, you can go home again. And, you know, I think for, for Steve Prohm and Murray State, that was an excellent opportunity. In some ways, it it might be, you know, you're, you're, you, you think about your career and you think, wow, I'm going backwards because Murray State was the was the – job that propelled me you know people forget he was 204 and 39 there 51 and 10 in the ohio valley uh his last season they were 29 and 6 and 16 and 0 so he took that to bigger and better things and those bigger and better things didn't work out at iowa state and now he's back so some people the pessimist would say you know he comes back with his tail between his legs the optimist would say well that's just fate i'm gonna roll with it and I'm going to make Murray State as good as I can be. Sean Miller, I think there are, there are those who are surprised uh, how he got to Xavier and, and why he got to Xavier. Travis Steele was fired in the middle of a NIT run that saw them win the, the championship. They must have known they had a chance to get Sean Miller because I understand that a couple of other schools were interested, including South Carolina. So, uh uh, I don't know what's going to happen to Sean in regards. Again, we mentioned that 2017 FBI deal. He was involved in that, and the reason he had to go bye bye at Arizona. But he was he was great at Xavier. I, I looked his record up: 120 and 47 there in five seasons. Dan Mata only spent one year at Butler. He was 24 and eight there. They were in the old Midwestern Collegiate Conference. I'd forgotten there was such a thing. Yeah, I'd kind of uh, forgotten that one, too. There there, there have been and, so many iterations yeah, of that that sort of league. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess it's uh, the horizon now, right? I mean, it, it, it's what evolved into the horizon. But uh, he was at Xavier for three years himself. And then at Ohio State, he, he had a great record. People forget this. He, he won 73% of his games at Ohio State. 66% of his games in Big Ten play. Uh, and he got gone after 2017. They they have a way of, of, I think, doing their basketball coaches dirty. Jim Foster, the, the women's basketball coach there, got cut loose after doing nothing but graduating kids and getting the Sweet 16s. That wasn't good enough. Uh, I still can't believe it. I, the reason I say that is because he got snapped up by – by Chattanooga right after, and he still had a lot of good years to give. That Mata is still just 54 years old, uh, and his name has been mentioned everywhere uh, since he since he left. I mean, Georgia fans really thought when Tom Crean got the job that Thad Mata was the man, and if so, you know, I think maybe Georgia would be turned around right now, and they wouldn't have a new coach themselves and Mike White, but uh, – yeah, it's funny how uh, this year the trend has sort of been, hey, let's let's go back to the future, sort of, and, and get somebody that, that started their head coaching career with us and bring them back. 
Yeah, you think of Thad Mata being an older guy, but he really isn't. And uh, yeah, yeah he's just fifty-four. Yeah, you hope health-wise that uh, he's good to go and uh, ready to uh, do some good things there at Butler as uh, he returns there. Uh, the the transfer portal just continues to be uh, flooded with players. One that got my attention was Janai Broom from Moorhead State. Uh, saw him play in person this year when they played here in Nashville against Belmont. He was the OVC Player of the Year. Really athletic, big guy who I think can play at any level in college basketball. I got to think there's going to be a lot of teams uh, uh, knocking down his door trying to get him to come play for him, and uh, we'll be interested to see where he lands, uh, among other players who are in the portal, and uh, we'll have to make these decisions. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, St. Peter's three best players uh, got into the portal, and gee, I wonder where they're going to end up. Uh, probably Seton Hall. Those guys were, were at the press conference uh when their coach got hired away by Seton Hall. And, yeah. and uh, so chances are good he'll they, – they could end up there. But who knows? Uh, another thing that, that was intriguing, LSU lost 11 players. In fact, they lost their whole roster, two to the NBA draft, 11 to the portal. Uh, conversely, uh, Murray State, uh, which Matt McMahon uh, left to go to LSU – they lost all their key players. So there's going to be a little trading going on. You yeah. know, it seems like we need general managers now uh, in college basketball to sort of negotiate uh, the salary cap, uh, uh, i.e. the NIL <laughs> yeah. and the transfer portal. It's really gotten crazy. Uh, but teams can make themselves significantly better through the portal. And I'm looking at you, Kentucky, except for that St. Peter's game. You were on a collision course with maybe having one of Coach Cal's best teams, and they started four transfers. So uh, things are different now. Uh, Some players who might have taken a shot at the NBA, despite all uh, advice suggesting them not to, they can stay now. They're they're making six figures in NIL. So the landscape of college basketball is changing. And I would suggest that we are going to continue to see older, experienced, veteran teams like Villanova, Virginia, and Kansas compete for national championships and probably win them more often than not. Chris, that'll do it uh, for this edition of our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. And uh, we'll be going to uh, twice a month during the offseason here, but uh, hope to continue to bring folks uh, great interviews and good information about college hoops. And we also want to, uh, I think we got to give this band a shout-out that we saw on Sunday night, the, the Cactus oh, yeah. Blossoms. We saw them here in Nashville oh. at 3rd and Lindsley. If, if folks uh, are into sort of country rock-type bands, then, then check out the Cactus Blossoms. I had not heard much about oh, them or, or seen them before, and I was very impressed. So uh, take a look and take a listen to those guys. Kevin uh, blindly trusted me. I said, dude, just buy a ticket. We'll see you there. And he did, and uh, by the end of the show, he had his phone out uh, videotaping. <laughs> the, the Cactus Blossoms are great. Uh, they sound like a cross between uh, Hank Williams and the Everly Brothers, and, and they they covered a, a Beatles song. Uh, so they're, they're pop savvy, too. They come from the rich, rich Minneapolis music scene and, and uh, all the influences there. Uh, Bob Dylan started out there at, at the U, uh, University of Minnesota, and Prince was from there. So mm-hmm. they just take all their influences, and you get a chance to see the cactus blossoms. Uh, 
check them out. And they've got a new album out too called, I think it's One Day. Uh, I've got it in my collection and I've been, it's, it's been on repeat in the car for the last uh, week or so. Good stuff. Chris, thanks as always. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, buddy. Take care. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.